0: Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We're particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hey everyone, it's Stephen Moe and I'm really glad you could join me today as we get the chance to speak with Julie Chapman, who's the co-founder of Kids Can, which is an amazing charity doing work with children in New Zealand. Here's an extract from the interview with Julie where she gave me an example of the way that they've had real impact.
1: I remember one from a teacher who said they'd had a little boy that had come with no lunch, and they'd so they'd made him a sandwich mm-hmm. um, and given him some, I think, scroggon mix and, and some fruit puddles, and then they found that he'd put them in his bag, and so they were wondering why he'd done that. And it turns out that... Um, He um, wanted to take them home to his mum because it was her birthday and there was no food at home. Mm. So that just kind of broke my heart when I heard that. Um, The good thing is that they actually made um, a few more sandwiches um, Mm -hmm. for him to take home so he could share them with his mum. But, you know, that just shouldn't be happening in in our Mm. country. That's Mm. that's just, it is, it's heartbreaking. Mm.
0: Well, I know you're going to enjoy this interview, so we're going to get straight into it. But if you do enjoy it, consider checking out some of the other episodes in the Seeds podcast, because I've recorded more than 75 interviews with other inspiring people as well. And to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, hit subscribe. Now let's get into this interview with Julie. All right, so it's a pleasure to welcome Julie Chapman, who's the founder of Kids Can Charitable Trust.
1: Great to be here.
0: It's wonderful to have you. And um, looking out behind you, I see blue sky, which I wasn't thinking would come no. in Auckland well, this morning.
1: this morning the power went off at our house, and um, I was trying to figure out how I would... Get the electric gate open in a thunderstorm, and I decided that I would just sit tight because it wasn't a good idea to be hanging on to metal gates and with lightning strikes going on. Probably not. So glad it to was, see the sun now.
0: It was an impressive thunderstorm that, that came through. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: quite like a good thunderstorm. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah it, was it was good. good. So, um, what we do on this podcast is talk about the initiatives that people have been involved in, and particularly starting in entrepreneurs or social enterprises, charities. But in order to tell that story, I find it's helpful to go b- right back to the beginning of a person's life and really understand the context of who they are and what led them to see a need that they then started something. So um, with, with you, if we could just go, let's just rewind right back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about where you're from.
1: Okay, well, um, I was born in Auckland. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's name uh, is Kenneth and my mother's name uh, was Alice and uh, yeah, born at National Women's Hospital in Auckland, grew up um, originally till I was about nine on the North Shore then my parents moved out to West Auckland, Oratea and um, later in life they moved down to, to um, Te Kauwhira so um, I'm an only child mm. uh, so um, I had a um, I think, a really nice upbringing, although I didn't have brothers and sisters. What and do you think
0: that did for you in terms of your personality, I guess, you know, as an only child? Do you mm. think it affected you? Or
1: I think, you know, a lot of people ask that question, but I, you don't know any different. Mm. Um, but I think it kind of, I guess, in a way made you more outgoing in terms of getting out there and making friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess if, if you've always known that way it's your context context Mm. and that's how you kind of grow up Mm -hmm. um but you always had lots of friends um, always um into rescuing animals and and all sorts of things like that so i think um for me one of the things that shaped my life growing up was my parents um and how they were so actively involved in the community. Um, my mum was very involved in her local church and mm. in, in every place that she lived. Um, and my dad was involved, um, you know, with local clubs, um, fishing, game, all of those sorts of things. So they had both of them a real service kind of um, mm. ethic towards their communities, which I think rubbed off on me certainly.
0: Mm-hmm. So growing up, were you <clears throat> did you end up getting involved in some of those things that they were? Yeah, um,
1: I I did definitely get involved in some of the church uh, things that mum was um, undertaking. Mm -hmm. Um, Mum would say that if something needed rescuing, I would be the first person to do it, especially (laughs) um, an animal or a pet. Um, And um, I just think, you know, when you look back on your life and how you grew up and you think about how you kind of came to be the person you are, um, for me personally, it was really my parents that, shaped that kind of caring um, wanting to help Mm. um, be involved in the community kind of attitude and Mm. and kind of thing that I just have Mm. um, as part of my personality or makeup
0: Mm. Mm. so just thinking I'm just curious about for example your mother what was it that you most admired or appreciated about her
1: Ah, I think for me, my mum was such a, she was always a calm person. Um, She was very calm and um, never saw her kind of get angry about anything. Um, She was always just quite measured. Um, My dad was probably had more of the feistiness, mm-hmm. um, which some people say oh, I've got a bit of that, um, which I probably have. Um, but yeah, I think my mum's calmness, but also just her openness and, and caring for people. You right. know, when a new person would come into the community, particularly in Te Kauwhata, um, mum would be around there with, you know, the muffins and welcoming the people to the neighbourhood. So right. yeah, that that was something I really admired about her.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's good. And for your father?
1: Um, I think his tenacity. Mm. Um, he he, When he put his mind to something, he really gave it his all, mm. um, but also his loyalty to his friends. Um, and again, just that, that sort of caring spirit mm. that he had. And also just a really work hard um, ethic as mm. well. He was a really hard worker.
0: Mm. Oh, that's good. It's just good to explore since they were such influences on your life to understand their natures. I think it's yeah. it's important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think you know that work ethic certainly rubbed off on me. Um, you know, one of the things that my parents always said to me is, you need to always, if you've got a job, you turn up. You know, you don't sort of skive off or you know take um, you know time off when you don't need to. It's it's as it about turning up and and putting the the effort in and being proud of what you do. So mm-hmm. that was definitely something that was kind of hammered home to me um, when I was younger before I got a job yeah
0: yeah so just describe yourself maybe as a I don't know 12 13 year old sort of teenage years what type of things did you enjoy at that time
1: I think I was quite naughty (laughs) (laughs) um actually because I I definitely was a um quite an outgoing person Mm -hmm. at that time or outgoing teenager um I was quite alternative so for a while there um Sort of in my late teens, I was getting around on a Vespa with a um, bob haircut and Doc Martin boots there for a while. So I was was a mod uh, and, yeah, kind of hung out with an alternative crowd of people. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So what had attracted you to that? that? I
1: think just, um, I think I just, uh, I guess sort of the underdog sort of thing again. Mm -hmm. So it was the sort of that fringe of... um, society and probably a bit of teenaged angst as, angst as well mm-hmm. um but yeah just gravitated towards that kind of um that kind of group of people mm-hmm. um who you know none of us are that way inclined now really but certainly in your teenagers, i think kids do um sometimes you know get in with groups and different things and different kind of cultures because it really was a sort of a culture as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. um you know that whole sort of 60s mod sort of culture um mm-hmm. Which I still really like, but I these days I don't get around on a Vespa with right. dot Martin boots in there. on. Yeah, yeah Bob Hiccup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, that's good. And in terms of studies, like, did you have a particular area, like science or maths or writing or that type um,
1: of thing? Like? I was terrible at maths. Uh, I was pretty good at school at English so um, but I I finished school in at the end of sixth form mm-hmm. and didn't go to university mm-hmm. just pretty much went straight into the workforce mm-hmm. after that working um, in a friend's retail store in Queen Street yep. uh, called American Sweatshirts mm-hmm. and um, yeah kind of just got into my sort of working career from there mm-hmm. um, I did a bit later on do a marketing diploma Mm-hmm. Um and that was when I kind of got into that whole sort of marketing, um, advertising sort of space which eventually led me kind of where where to where I am today.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And did you I guess feel pressure that you should go to university or you should do that path? Or Not at was, all. Yeah.
1: No, there was never any pressure for that. Mm-hmm. Um uh and I, I kind of, you know, I don't think that um, there should be that pressure for uh, for for young people. Um, I think that you know you've got to choose your own path, mm. and certainly for me, there was no pressure from my parents to mm. to carry on. Um, you know, I didn't love school. it mm. wasn't one of my favorite um kind of places to be. Um, yeah, i kind of I kind of think that probably for me it was about getting through. Um, to the end of sixth form, and then going out and getting a job, yeah. which is what I did.
0: No, well, I, I agree completely with you, and I think the problem is sometimes there is this expectation or pressure that you, of course you have to go to university, or you, of course you have to do this or that, but oftentimes it's from people, you know, people don't know themselves yet, and therefore they get on that path, yeah, but it may I, not be the best one for them.
1: No, and I think there's... I think sometimes people have a perception that to be successful you need to have gone to uni Mm. Um, but i just disagree with that i don't think you need to to go to uni at all
2: well the fascinating
0: thing now is of course there's so much disruption happening that is university even preparing you for the actual workforce you know like when i think of my job working as a lawyer like what i learned at university and what the future jobs will be is probably quite different um so yes so. especially
1: with yeah technology and yeah. yeah things becoming more automated yeah university probably isn't preparing mm. you for that mm. and um and i also you know i don't think necessarily if i'd gone it would have prepared me really for what i'm doing now mm. i think that this was about getting into the workforce and then um finding your feet and finding out what interested mm. me um and then I guess making a a sort of a career out of it. Mm. Um, And for me, it was very much about helping people.
0: Yeah. And so, talk us through that. Like, when did you come to realize that? Or because you're working in a retail shop selling sweatshirts, was it? (laughs) Sweatshirts, yes. And track pants. And track pants. So, you're a specialist (laughs) in that. But it's obviously different to what you do now. So, just talk us through sort of the steps that led, I guess. um.
1: Yeah. So, um, I actually. When I was younger, I always wanted to join the police force, okay. and um, so I was um, very motivated to do that. That was something that I just thought that was going to be hmm. the... Why was that? Oh, um, I think, again, that comes back to that helping people right. um, kind of thing, and Because you've also been rescuing the birds and the, rescuing the, the, the little birds. animals and yeah, all that. Yeah, absolutely, so, yeah. you know, natural progression. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I had this this idea that that's what I wanted to do, but it turns out that um, I... I wasn't very good on the fitness side of it, which I think was pretty tough back then. Mm. Um, so what I did while well, I was trying to kind of bring that to, to kind of um, reality is I got a job working for a stationary company called OTC Office Supplies. Mm. And And I started there as the fax girl. So what that meant was that... The technology of yesteryear. Yes, the fax. Remember the days. (laughs) Does anyone remember that? The fax So basically what that meant was that orders would come in from companies on the fax machine, the facsimile, and I would take those off and punch them into the computer system, Ah. which would then generate the stationary order. Very exciting. And... um, and then it would get sent out. So that's where I started, and and I took that job as a a means to, earn money while I was pursuing my dream of joining the police force I see. Um, huh. that didn't eventuate but what I quite liked the look of there was the sort of marketing area oh. um, with the promotions and the different newsletters and the catalogs um, that made stationery seem very exciting um, to people <laughs> and so I decided that that's where I kind of wanted to be in that team mm-hmm. um, moving on from the f- being the facts girl right. and and that's when I did the diploma
2: mm-hmm.
1: at um, what was back then AIT. Mm-hmm. And when a job came up, I went for the marketing coordinator's job and was lucky enough to get that role. Hmm. Yeah.
0: So that was your first introduction into that <coughs> world, I mean, working Absolutely. world of marketing. Yes. Yeah. And
1: then I think I stayed there for about two and a half years and then... And Thought that was the same company? Yeah, same company, yeah. So OTC. You'd gone from girl to I'd gone from fax girl to marketing coordinator. Wow. Um, doing all the promotions and different things like that. Yep. Um, and then I uh, started looking around. Um, as exciting as the stationery industry was, I decided that perhaps it was time for a change. Mm-hmm. And I ended up taking a job at the um, Rescue Helicopter Trust in hmm. Auckland, which. Um, and it was a database role, managing the database. Mm-hmm. And every night for the first week, I came home and basically cried and thought, what the hell have I done? Right. Because <laughs> it was a disaster. I was terrible with the database. It's right. not my strength at all. <laughs> yeah, um, you said
0: you weren't good at the math no. side of things. so. <laughs> oh, I
1: don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, um, it, that did actually get me into the... Um, charity kind of world I I guess and um, somehow I managed to keep that job and keep going Mm -hmm. and eventually a role came up um, as the marketing manager for the Child Flight Air Ambulance and so I applied for that role um, and got the role Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really when that whole sort of fundraising Aspect um, and marketing of, of charities and, and, you know, raising money mm. um, took off. Mm-hmm. And rea- I realised that was something I really enjoyed doing um, mm-hmm. and that I was not too bad at. Hmm. Hmm.
0: And it was a cause you could believe in as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah so again, it came back to helping children. Um, you You're know not we just selling paper and stationery.
0: You're no, I was very <laughs>
1: exciting stationery. Yeah. Um, but yes, it was really about, you know, Kind of utilizing or just discovering inadvertently that kind of community spirit that I always had for my parents mm-hmm. and being able to realize that I could actually do that for a job mm. and, um, and help people in the process. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into the kind of charity space. Mm.
0: That's great. It's, it's always interesting thinking through a person's life and sort of your origins, you know, as a child that, that you were exposed to those things and then later on sort of coming back to the charitable world like yeah.
1: yeah and it's then you go is it nature or nurture yeah and I think I don't know I think definitely yeah. well I think definitely it was nur- a lot of that was nurture for me sure but I guess also there was something that
0: you looked after the the animals as well right animals, so yes yeah. yeah so it was that I was guess probably it is part of my nature as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely.
0: So, talk us through sort of what happened next um, and, and Kids Can and, you yeah. know, like how did that begin? And
1: so, um, I stayed at the Helicopter Trust for quite a while mm-hmm. um, and then I decided again after a few years that um, it was time for a change and that um, I wanted to, um, in particular, really focus on helping children, Mm -hmm. um, and in particular children that were less fortunate than others. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of moving away from that medical side into the um, financial hardship, material hardship space. Okay. Um, I had heard through various media reports, through talking to teachers, particularly at back-to-school time, that there were literally thousands of kids in New Zealand that were going without the basics. Mm -hmm. So I did a very unsophisticated survey Mm -hmm. of 80 low-decile schools and the kind of results from that were quite overwhelming and Mm -hmm. quite shocking. Mm -hmm. Um, Schools were basically telling us that children were hungry, they weren't coming to school when there was no food at home, Um, when it was raining, they were coming... Um, cold and wet, unable to to learn, or they weren't coming at all because they didn't have um, raincoats and shoes. And so I've always been a person that likes really practical, tangible solutions. Mm. Um, Combining that with my belief that education really does equal opportunity, Mm -hmm. um, I saw, I guess, a a need, Mm. um, a social issue that wasn't being addressed and decided to set up an organization that would provide food, clothing, and then later on, um, health items Mm -hmm. um, for children in New Zealand living in poverty.
0: Hmm. And what year are we talking
1: about? When was this? That was in 2005, Right. and certainly um, when Uh, the organisation was first started there was limited awareness of the issue of poverty Mm. in New Zealand so I had to knock on a lot of doors Mm. to um, I guess um, convince people that this was an area that needed attention and the importance of ensuring that our children had the basics Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah it was a kind of a hard slog Mm. at the beginning um, but we're now 13 years down the track and Mm. and I think um, you know people are starting to understand more about what 's going on in this country,
0: yeah, was there a point where you, you saw a difference like from two thousand and five you've been doing it a number of years now, but was there a point you know i don 't know in two thousand seven two thousand and eight or something where you thought, okay, people are getting it now or or has it been
1: it's you been know? I almost feel it's been longer than that, right. um but I think over the thirteen years there's been a gradual slow Kind of shift in people's thinking yep. um, around the fact that we do have this issue in, in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, you'll still have a lot of judgmental people who don't understand the reasons behind it, mm-hmm. blame the parents, um, and you'll never kind of shift the thinking of those people. Mm-hmm. But I think what I've seen is people that were kind of on the cusp of it and not really sure um, have definitely become more compassionate, and and I think people understand more that the impact of letting this continue mm-hmm. um, is bad for all of us, mm-hmm. um, and certainly long-term, it's bad for New Zealand, mm-hmm. so it's important to address it.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's really good. So talk me through, I wanted to find out about what's happening now with the organisation and what you're actually doing, but just before we get there, poverty in New Zealand, can you just... I'll leave it as maybe that's (laughs) the only words I have to say, but can you just talk about that and and what's actually going on in in our country?
1: Yeah, so um, I think like when you use the word poverty, and it is poverty, Mm -hmm. um, and it's of course relative to where you are, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people kind of don't understand what that means Mm. in daily life. Um, So just to kind of give some context to it in terms of what we see, um, it's families who are struggling to pay their bills, it's families who are not able to provide food for seven days of the week, they might have enough budget to provide food for four or five days, but they run out. Mm. Um, It's families who aren't able to afford those basic sort of material items that we all kind of probably took for granted, most of us growing up, like the shoes, the raincoat. Um, And as time's gone on and things have actually got worse uh, with our housing issue cost of living Um, we are now seeing a trend where it's not just the food and the clothing it's basic health and hygiene products like head lice treatment feminine hygiene products and when you are materially deprived as a child Mm. um, not only does it have a cognitive effect um, particularly around the stress of living in poverty Mm. and material hardship but also it affects your ability to um, to get to school and or um, daycare and actually learn and have those early mm. kind of developmental um, opportunities um, it's kind of like I guess if you're starting a, a running race and everyone's at the start line yeah um, to start school you know you know if you're a child living in poverty you're 50 meters back mm. before you even get to the start line mm. so um, it is those basics and mm. I think busting those myths around why as well and we do have a low wage high cost economy Mm -hmm. Um, and the simple way of putting it is that most households just do not have enough money coming in to cover the rent, the power, the petrol, the basic things mm-hmm. that they need to. They mm. just the wages um, are not keeping up with mm. with those costs. Mm. So there's a deficit at the end of each week, mm. and that impacts the family in all sorts of ways. They can get into debt. Um, they you know there are a lot of companies and um, loan sharks and those shopping trucks that prey on um, people that don't have a lot of money. Um, and so, yeah. Ultimately, what we're about is making sure the kids have those material items so they get a better opportunity to mm. lift themselves out of that poverty trap mm-hmm. long term.
0: Because if there's not enough money to buy something, it's probably going to be what's viewed as a dispensable thing. You yeah. know, like the, the basics for yeah. the kids. So,
1: And I think also, like, if you think about what, what poverty looks like, it's, for many families, it's having to make a choice that they shouldn't have to make. Mm-hmm. So do I pay the rent or put food on the table? Do I go to the doctor or fix the car? Do I buy a pair of shoes or, again, buy food? Mm. So, And it's because the budgets don't stretch enough. And look, the ma- majority of families that I come into contact with, and certainly over the past 13 years, could budget me out of the room, you know? Mm. Um, because they have to. So I think part of my um, mission, um, particularly in the last few years, is to be is to bust some of those myths yeah. and judgments that people have because you can't make a sweeping judgment about a group of people. Yeah, you need yeah. to understand that everyone's got their own story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's for sure. It's, yeah. Uh, and and the point is that if the child starting their life, starting their story, can be given the right foundation, then they're going to have a better chance. At making a successful story.
1: That's right, and I think a lot of people have the perception sometimes that families are just after handouts. Um, Actually, families are embarrassed that they can't provide for their children, that they can't, they don't have enough food. Um, You know, they were keeping them home um, Mm. before Kids Can came along Mm. um, out of embarrassment, and now um, I think by us providing that food, it's broken down that sort of stigma. Um, families know that um, there's a discreet program operating in the school, um, that their children can get fed, and, mm. and you know, it's that kind of catch-22 between do I keep my child home and therefore I'm impacting their learning, or do I send them to school with no food, cause, but then I'm highly embarrassed and feel shame. Right. So we've just kind of tried to remove that, yep. just leveling that playing field.
0: It makes sense. The name Kids Can, how did you come up with that?
1: Um, So the name Kids Can is all about, um, I guess, really talking about what kids can achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, kids can achieve... a great life. Kids can get a great education. Kids can um, dream and and have goals and ambitions. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, in the early days, we we definitely were mistaken for a cancer charity. Right. Um, so kids' cancer, which yeah. at the time I couldn't could be see that. To it, yeah. yeah um, <laughs> but less so nowadays. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really about an uplifting kind of message um, that you know kids can achieve what they want to. Mm. Um, certainly, and especially with a bit of a hand up as well mm-hmm. from people that care
0: yeah that's great so what sort of things are you involved in um, you mentioned the food and you know different supplies that that, that kids need like where are you operating and what's yeah, going so on right now
1: we're in 742 decile one to four schools across new zealand wow. um, we have basically three core programs um our food program our clothing program and our health and hygiene programs mm-hmm. And um, in terms of the food space, we provide a range of items. Um, we have a partnership with uh, George Western Foods, so about 150,000 loaves of bread a year go out, um, easyo yogurt, fruit bottles, spreads. Um, in the winter, we have a range of hot meals that go out to the schools. Um, so a really kind of um, range of foods that aren't sort of, um, I guess, Pigeonholing kids into having one option um, because I think equity is important. They Mm. need to have more than one option and Currently right now we're actually providing food for um, around 30,000 children a week Mm. Across those schools and many of those children would be accessing the program multiple times a week Mm. um, Probably minimum three, but some up to four to five times a week Mm. so Wow. That's the food program. Um, then our clothing program centres around raincoats, shoes and socks. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we've given out more than 45,000 raincoats, um, more than 26,000 pairs of socks. Uh, sorry, shoes and double that in terms of the number of socks because every pair of shoes comes with two pairs of socks, right. which is important. <laughs> yes. uh, and then in the house <laughs> space, right. <laughs> a lot of... Um, Uh, tissues, plasters, Mm -hmm. hair treatment for lice um, and head lice, Uh, so that's big um, because it's an expensive product Mm -hmm. again for parents to try and treat their children. Mm -hmm. Um, And in more recent years, um, definitely the feminine hygiene products um, Mm -hmm. to the point where um, we're giving out about 20,000 packets a year at the moment Mm. um, and we think there's still um, more of a need mm. so we're investigating at the moment how we can actually quantify that need and look at rolling out a um, an even bigger program across mm. across our schools. Mm. Um,
0: so it's really large volumes of each of those you know it's yeah. not just a couple hundred of this or that it's no. 20,000 or you yeah. Know, like those are big numbers.
1: Yeah and we um, have partnerships with suppliers that work with us so mm. Um, You know, we spend a significant amount on food a year, but Mm. for every dollar that we spend on food, we're delivering $2 in value Mm. um, because of those partnerships with um, key suppliers who give us those discounted rates Mm -hmm. for products. We import our own shoes and socks and raincoats um, because the volumes are large. And um next year we're looking at actually our own headless um treatment product as mm. well, which um will go out to the schools. So yeah. um yeah.
0: So just talk us through like the statistics are great because it shows the quantity and the the actual impact, but stories speak don't they ah, <laughs> um, absolutely. are there any yeah. stories that really stand out to you of you know children that you've met maybe or stories that you've heard that, that there's actually been a positive impact i'm just i'm always yeah. curious to get below the the, the statistics the sit, to yeah. the actual
1: Nuts and bolts, yes, and and actually there are a few, and I think certainly because we've been going for 13 years now, um, you know a lot of people would say, oh you're the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, Mm. but actually I always say we're both, we're the fence at the top and we're the ambulance at the bottom, um, because we're meeting that immediate material need, Mm. but the long term benefit of that is that children are getting to school and having full tummies and being warm and dry so mm. they can just get on with learning. And so 13 years down the track, we're now starting to um, have some of those um, mm. young adults come back to us to tell us about how having food or a pair of shoes or a raincoat has made a difference for them. Mm. A couple of stories that really stand out to me is a letter that I got from a... Uh, A young adult, a young girl Mm. in um, Wellington who had been to one of our schools down there Mm -hmm. and her mother um, was unable to, she's a solo mother, she was Mm. unable to provide shoes for all of the children in the family Um, and in particular closed toe shoes which meant she could go to woodwork classes so she received a pair of kids can shoes Mm. and was able to go to woodwork and discovered a passion for kind of building and Mm. creating things and as a result of being um, able to do that mm. she went on to build her own tiny house. Mm. So um, she wrote to us and just this amazing letter and and shared with us that in her school she knew children that got to eat because of Kids Can mm. um, were warm and dry. She'd had a raincoat mm. and obviously a pair of shoes and she told that story about how being able to have a pair of shoes mm. enabled her to go to woodwork. Mm. And and I think, you know, that's the thing about um, I guess the the underlying stuff that we do. It's not just about keeping feet warm and dry and free from injury. It's about creating opportunity. For kids that mm. they wouldn't otherwise get, um, so that's a great
2: story. Yeah, um the that's other one the type of
0: story to keep in front of mind because running anything is difficult and it's like yeah. a marathon, isn't it? But Absolutely. If you can bear in mind that there's an actual individual out here who was impacted yes. positively, then yeah, kind of makes it worthwhile. It doesn't does. It,
1: it does, yeah. and you know, and then other ones where. Um, uh, I remember one from a teacher who said they'd had a little boy that had come with no lunch and they'd so they'd made him a sandwich mm-hmm. um, and given him some, I think, scroggon mix and, and some fruit puddles and then they found that he'd put them in his bag and so they were wondering why he'd done that. And it turns out that um, he um, wanted to take them home to his mum because it was her birthday and there was no food at home. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of broke my heart when yeah. I heard that. Yeah. Um, the good thing is that they actually made it, um, a few more sandwiches um, for mm. him to take home so he could share them with his mum but you know that's, that just shouldn't be happening in, in our mm. country. That's, mm. that's just it is, it's heartbreaking. Mm. Um, so I think you hear those horrific stories mm. and certainly in recent times things aren't getting better, they are actually getting worse. Mm. Um, certainly on the, I guess what we'd say on the front line um, we're seeing that material hardship get worse. Mm. Um, and so what I'm really interested in is when you know you have government etc that come out with stats and saying they've lifted all these kids out of poverty. Um, and that's just a number actually that relates to their income. What I'm really interested in is whether that means families can keep a roof over their head, mm. um, have three meals a day, nutritious food, be able to buy those things that children are really really missing out on and need mm-hmm. and at the moment there's no evidence that that's actually happening mm-hmm. um so mm. yeah that's that's the real test for me yeah. is what is happening in daily reality and da- daily life for these families yeah
0: well i think it's so powerful to hear those stories because that to me that's like it it under in underscores why this is important yeah um congratulations you've just made it as the Prime Minister of New Zealand, (laughs) what is it that you would change? (laughs) Yeah, I have been asked this before. Yeah, well, there you go. What would you, you know... What would I do? Yeah. Yeah.
2: How would it be different? Well,
1: because it is easy to sit back and and say, oh, you know, this isn't working or that's Mm. not working. But um, look, I think um, the biggest thing is security around housing Mm -hmm. for families and children. Um, I think you know that we're on the right track with starting to address that um, i know that that's one of the biggest issues around poverty is is not just secure housing but warm dry housing mm-hmm. so that would be something that would be a real focus for me mm-hmm. um, i would also probably work with other organizations like ourselves um, and other charities that um, can actually get direct support to children mm-hmm. um, in need in particular and families while Whilst those longer term social kind of policy um, decisions get bedded in. Yeah. Because, you know, kind of the thing is that at the moment the housing thing's going to take a long time to fix, it, but we've still got kids going hungry and without the basics. So we can't. Give up on those immediate kind of solutions, Mm. um, thinking that it's all going to be all right in the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly would be pushing for businesses to move to a living wage. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there are, I mean, there's all sorts of arguments for and against that, but um, certainly there's also a lot of evidence that shows that when you do have a living wage, um, people are more engaged, they're more loyal, they stay longer, they work harder, Mm. um, and they can live with dignity. So. Those are kind of two kind of areas that I'm particularly interested in. Yep. Um, from a stats and on paper um, perspective, um, the measurement of how people are living is really important, mm. not just a number that, that, that tells you they've been raised above the 50% of the median income. Mm. Because I don't believe that if you're suddenly raised above Fifty percent, which is the benchmark that's being currently used, that you're suddenly out of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I, I think the other thing I would do is be um, probably more innovative and and work more closely with the the social sector around mm-hmm. how we can address some of these issues immediately and then over the long term mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. One of the it's things not going to happen though. I'm never going to be prime minister. <laughs> <so. laughs> it's not a job I would want. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Can you imagine? Oh no, it's a bit of pressure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I like to think through with charities is the ultimate measure of success is that the charity no longer exists. Mm. Um, in terms of your your future, like it, it feels to me like there's a need there that's going to be around for a long time. Um, can you just talk us through your plans for the future for the organisation, sort of where you see it headed?
1: Yeah, so so you're absolutely on the on the money there. like the ultimate goal would be for kids can not to be needed mm-hmm. um, because everyone in New Zealand would have you know enough um, resources to meet their basic needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think it's going to take a long time to get there. Um, so for us as an organisation, it's about making sure that, um, we're sustainable, um, so that we can actually be there for as long as we need it, mm. um, and that that's around um, different types of income streams, making sure that there's a diverse range of income streams so that if one um, happens to fall over, then the organisation doesn't, mm-hmm. um, and that's really important because, you know, we're feeding children, mm. um, these kids would go potentially go hungry if we, we weren't doing that mm. so if we we can't make that commitment then stop overnight, it's just not something that would sit right um, with me or the rest of the team yeah. um, so definitely sustainable kind of income streams uh, and a lot of people say that Charities, um, c- when compared to social enterprise, aren't sustainable. But actually, it's like any business. If you have good practices, you have, um, you know, robust processes and systems, and all of those things. You know, well you can be sustainable. Um, and I guess you know we've been around for thirteen years. So I don't know at what point we we get to be called You're sustainable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, so I kind of you know don't don't buy into that argument. Mm-hmm. Um, In terms of our programs, Mm -hmm. we're always looking to um, improve what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, our um, goal is to put as much money as possible into the best quality products and food that that children um, need. Um, and so for us, we're going through a process at the moment of reviewing all of our products, all of our food items, mm. looking at where we can improve. Um, we've just had a um, huge survey go-, go out to all of our schools across the 742, mm-hmm. seeking feedback from um, the children themselves, right. um, also principals and the coordinators that are in the each school. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll take those findings and that will... Um, give us a roadmap about how we can um, continuously improve our our range of items, mm. but also ensuring that as many children as possible have access to them um, without any barriers to that within mm. the school environment. Mm. Yeah,
0: that's great. Yeah, quality quality Absolutely. food, right? Not because quality that's, food. Yeah, yeah, that's that's potentially one of the one of the the problems is that there's not quality. You know, um, fast Absolutely. food has become so it's such a bad word, you know, fast food, but so often it's full of things which are not actually healthy. Absolutely. And
1: And actually starting to, you know, we've um, had some, um, we're doing a, uh, just working with our schools on a bit of research and evaluation, and, Mm. you know, um, over more than 50% of the um, whanau that have answered the survey that we've put out earn less than $20,000 a year. Mm. So, And, and they're telling us that they can't afford um, nutritious food. Mm. Um, it is the fatty meats, it's the high carb, it's the white bread, it's the, you know, rice and the pasta and all of those things, which we all like, but in moderation, this mm. is what families are living on mm. um, predominantly because they actually don't have enough money to buy that sort of higher quality mm. produce. Um, and when you look at, you know, trying to exist as a family on less than $20,000 a year Mm. I would kind of challenge anyone to do that and a lot of people say oh well they just need to grow a garden or they just need to go back to the old days when we we baked and we lived off the land and it's like well you know it's just not realistic for Mm. that to happen these Mm. days um Gardens cost money, when you don't have housing security, you know, how are you supposed to put down roots, so to speak, and grow mm-hmm. a garden. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of things at play that, um, and you know, certainly mental health is one of them in, in the material hardship space as mm-hmm. well, because the stress of not being able to meet your basic needs. Mm-hmm is significant and huge mm. and um, has a huge impact on families mm. and their mental health. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so we're we're gonna be there for as long as we need it. But yeah. one day I'll just go and be a crazy cat lady. Yeah. I have got seven cats. Do you? Yes. Wow. But you're not crazy until you're into double figures. Is just that, just is so that the everyone measure? knows. <laughs> yeah. Well that's my measure. Seven's um, okay
0: but ten is I think too some far. <laughs> may
1: some may say I've gone too far already, but um <laughs> yeah, two, seven cats, three dogs and two goats. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of balancing it out yeah. with some other types of You've animals. You've got
0: different types of animals. Yeah. Well, that, you're double figures, but it's different species. Yes. <laughs> yes, so then
1: you're definitely not crazy. But 10 yeah. cats is kind of the limit. That's the, that's it's, the that's point. That's when you're heading for divorce too, I think, yeah, if you right. get more than 10 cats. <laughs> Actually, more than seven. <laughs>
0: yeah. So can I just ask you a question? We're here in Aotearoa, New Zealand there's some unique characteristics in New Zealand that I think we probably haven't drawn on as a society and culture. And I'm talking about te ao Māori Mm. and thinking about concepts like a word you used before, fa and and um, can you just explain sort of, has that had any influence in your thinking or what you're doing?
1: Yeah, well we've um, recently, last year we formed a partnership with um, Waikato Tainui and um, a couple of weeks ago um, a few of us from the Kids Can team actually spent a full day um, with uh, some of the awesome people Mm -hmm. from there, um, learning more about their culture, Mm -hmm. learning more about their history, um, what happened to them um, and then visiting some of the... um, Significant um, cultural sites around the Waikato. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a real eye opener for mm-hmm. me. Um, traditionally, we haven't, um, as an organisation, uh, I guess we're a non-Māori organisation. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, you know, a high percentage of the children we help, almost um, I think 75% are Māori or Pacifica. Mm-hmm. Um, high percentage Māori. Um, so for us. Um, We've embraced that as an organisation. We've we've been um, the whole team has actually been learning tarot. Great. Uh, every Tuesday for an hour, we have a teacher that comes in and mm. teaches us. So mm. um, that's been awesome. Loved yeah. it. And I think visiting um, with Waikato Tainui and actually hearing about their history and mm. you know they're working with us to support a, around 28 schools. Mm. Um, yeah, I so loved that it. So it had a big
0: impact. You oh, know, like huge y- impact. Yeah. made
1: me want to just learn more yeah. and, um, and carry on with the, with the you know the language lessons. Because yeah. the <coughs> thing
0: it's, it just strikes me because I've lived overseas in a number of different places and it, it just feels like there's a richness and a depth there within all those concepts that that hasn't really been drawn on. As much as it could be, and so I'm I'm really pleased yeah. to hear that because I think for an organization like you and what you're doing, like it resonates so deeply with this concept that we're, we're we should help each other, that we're a network. It's not just individuals, it's not just individual profit. There's a wider group that we need to take care of, you know, and and um, in a way, coming back to your childhood, looking out for the weak, and you know, yes. whether it was animals or other people, yeah. Um, there's echoes of that. In, in what you've said.
1: Yeah, it's it's the, the manakitanga, which is mm. the, um, you know, caring and looking after um, all people and, and sharing. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, our hope is that we can um, continue that partnership and indeed strengthen that. Mm. Um, and, you know, actually look at how we can connect more of the children back with um, with the iwi as well. Mm. Um, it's important that they... Um, Understand that the f- um, the funding that we're getting from um, Waikato Tainui is actually going into um, those products that are helping them to get to school. Yep. Um, and it'd be more difficult for us to do that without that. Mm. Um, and I think you know for certainly um, for Waikato Tainui, mm. it's probably one of the first partnerships with a non maori organisation that they've had. So um, we're really committed to making that work. And certainly, you know, I think there was about seven or eight of us that went down um, and spent the whole day there. And it was just incredible. Absolutely loved it. Mm. Yeah, really cool. Mm. That's
0: good. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to hear about what you're doing and the real impact that that it's having. And what I really liked hearing was the stories of the, you know, the, the actual impact that, that somebody got shoes, was able to go to woodworking class and it affected their course, you know, like that's Absolutely. that's really special. So if people want to find out more and learn, you know, about maybe some more examples and, and how they could get involved or, or give or whatever, what's the best way for them to connect with you?
1: Well, the best way is for them to go to our website, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of information on there about the schools we support, the regions we're in, um, the products that we offer, Um, There's definitely stories on there of um, children that we've supported. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also um, our monthly giving programme where people can support a child for $20 a month, and we have about 11,500 people doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we ensure that um, a minimum of 80 cents um, in every dollar from that income stream goes directly into our programs, which mm-hmm. is really important to us. Um, and I guess there's also an email there, um, an info email if they want to find out more, we always welcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, or just give us a call actually, mm-hmm. and um, ask questions or come and come and see us, mm-hmm. um, or get in touch, yeah.
0: Because yeah, it sounds like you're involved throughout the country, right? So yeah, there's, here we are. There's, there's places or things happening yeah. that people could support.
1: Yeah, and look, most of everything we do is kind of centralised and run out of um, the Auckland warehouse, um, but we do have a lot of relationships across the country that are really important to us. And of course, um, in those schools and each community, you know, there's almost almost 800 of them now. Um, so there's a lot of, um, I guess. Presence from kids can and in, in those communities, which is really important. So yeah. yeah, I just say get in touch. You just don't ask, you don't get. Just,
2: just reach out. Just reach <laughs> out. Yeah, give us a call. That's cool.
0: <laughs> well, what we'll do in the show notes for the episode, um people will be able to scroll down, and if they click, we'll, we'll put in the link so people can go and find. Awesome. If you give me some links, we'll put them in. We can do that. Yeah, great. Well, it's been wonderful to chat with you and Thank just hear you. about your own it's been background. Really enjoyable you know, what's led to what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, So um, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Stephen. I really enjoyed it. Great. Thanks a lot. No problem. Awesome.
0: Well, I hope you were both encouraged and challenged by that interview with Julie. It was amazing to hear her backstory and what led her to co-found Kids Can. If you enjoyed this interview, then consider checking out some of the earlier ones because there's more than 75 of them. There's also a Facebook page at Seeds Podcast that you can look up to see videos and interviews and other things. And if you leave a rating and review in the podcast app you're using to listen to this, that would be appreciated. Until next time.